All right, church, how you doing today? Everybody doing good this morning? Man, we are so, I'm so honored just to be able to uh, get up here and speak to you guys today. And I definitely just want to start diving into the Word because I'll be honest with you, as I have been reading this scripture and as I have been kind of praying over it and the things that I would kind of share and I've been praying, God, what would you have me to say to the congregation today? What would you have me say to the church today? Because I, simply this, I just want to be used as a vessel for God. And so I want to be God's mouthpiece. I want to bring his word to you this morning. And I want to share with you just a little bit of the things that God has shown me from this unique story that we find in Luke. And it is a very unique story and in a lot of ways because we remember things that, you know, last week he was, uh, Jesus was talking to uh, some of the priests and the disciples and the Pharisees and things like that in their homes. But in this scripture right here, we're starting to see that this is kind of a clean break from those things. So Jesus is kind of starting out, and this is kind of not really a new chapter of things. It's just a new set of events that's kind of happening in the scripture here. And we start to see that in verses 11 through 13, uh, as, as was just read, it says this, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices, saying this, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And at this point in time, Jesus had started to begin to travel. And uh, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. It says, And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought, him, brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those who have seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. Amen. So the fame is starting to get known about Jesus in these, these days. And as Jesus is traveling along with his disciples, and I'm sure there's some stragglers that are kind of joining along with them, Jesus is between kind of at the borderline of, uh, of Samaria and Galilee. And he approaches this village. And this is a kind of an unnamed village that's, uh, we don't really know exactly what village it was that he was stepping into. But it says this, that he was met by ten lepers. And so you've got to kind of picture in your mind, honestly, about these ten lepers. That, that they know about the fame of Jesus. And they have afflictions that are going on in their life. And I don't know about you, but, but when I hear the word leprosy, I'm going to be honest, it's a word that sometimes I think that I skim over too quickly. And I don't really think about, honestly, about what that really meant for these men that are standing there at outside of the village and they see Jesus coming along. I have to kind of do this. I have to kind of put myself in the spot of these 10 men right here. And I have to kind of understand what they're, they're going through here. So in case that you don't know anything about leprosy, here's a few facts about it. It's really quite remarkable. That leprosy was kind of this general term that was for several kinds of skin conditions. It's also known as Hansen's disease today. In fact, there are treatments that are, that are here today that you can take for these kinds of things, for this type of disease that can cure you. But back in this day right now, it was a very crippling disease that would happen. And it was more than just things on your skin. They believed it was caused kind of like, 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 a, like a bacteria that could be passed by touch or breath. That's what they used to believe in there. So a lot of people would want to stay away from those who had leprosy. It attacks the skin and the nerves and the wrists, the elbows and the knees, as well as the mucous membrane. So you would have these lesions that would form on the outside of your skin. 
And often it would disfigure your face by letting your nose collapse in. So you can imagine kind of the scene that we're seeing right here with these ten lepers and the things they're going through. From the outside, they seem very disfigured. But it isn't just that, okay? This is kind of the gross part of this. I was going to bring pictures, but I decided if you're going to go eat lunch at at Pizza Hut or something like that afterwards, it probably wouldn't be good for me to put pictures on the screen. So I, I refrained from that this morning. But leprosy was believed, a lot of people believe that this kind of ate away at the flesh. But it's kind of right the opposite. What happened was this, is when I talked about, you know, the nerves kind of in your hands and your feet would kind of go out. So in other words, you wouldn't have feeling in your fingers and your feet. And oftentimes these lepers, they didn't have the best accommodations. So sometimes they had to sleep on the ground or in these makeshift tents and things like that. So they were kind of on the outskirts of town. They didn't have the five-star hotel and things like that. So when they fell asleep at night, animals would often come and start nibbling on their fingers and their toes. In fact, they wouldn't even know it because their nerves were shot. So oftentimes there would be pieces of their feet and their hands missing because simply they didn't even know they were going. And can you imagine what that would probably feel like when you wake up and, ah, I had a finger, you know, when I went to bed, now it's gone. And all the infections and things like that that would come from these rats and stuff that would come and, and eat away at their flesh. So oftentimes people just, just thought that this was one of those things that ate away at their flesh. And I'm sure there was all sorts of kinds of skin conditions, if you know, in the world. And there probably was a type of leprosy that would do that. But this is what was commonly happening amongst people with leprosy. We can talk about all the physical things that leprosy had in there, because I'm sure there's a multitude of other things that was going on with somebody who, who was a leper. But it only affected them physically, but they were also outcasts in the community. They were cut off from all of society, and they would often travel in packs, because all they had, honestly, was each other in these moments. They had no other friends but themselves. So they would travel in packs, they would get together, and they shared this common affliction, and, and they were better together in numbers. But it also affected them spiritually, because it was Jewish belief that this was God's judgment for their sin in their life. And oftentimes, this is what would happen, they, would, they had to keep their distance from people. That's the reason why, when they were cast out of these communities and things, they had to keep their distance from the people in the village, they had to leave their families. It was a very sad, miserable existence. In, in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 through 46, it says this, that the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So when you take all these things into effect, when we say the word leper, we're not talking about this fast little cat thing that can run really quick. We're talking about somebody who honestly has great affliction on their life. We're seeing some people who, who honestly have no hope. There's no cure at that day. There, there was nothing that they had. They were really hopeless people who were just existing, almost probably begging God, please just let me die. That was the feeling that they had going on. And can you imagine if this is you and you see off in the distance, Jesus, this man that you've been hearing about, the man who has been famous, that he has been healing people. That there was just stories before. I heard where he went to this other town and, and there was a leper and he laid hands on him. And guess what? They were healed. 
That's that same dude over there. So the ten are like excited, more than likely to see him, because we see this in the scripture. They yell out to him. They cry out to him. They lift their voices. They didn't say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Sometimes when we read text, don't we get that? It's like, seems kind of boring. No, they were shouting, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In other words, Jesus, have pity on us. Look at us. Jesus, please, please look here. Because they had no hope. And they knew the power that he possessed. And if we move on with this story, we see in, in verse 14, Jesus does something very odd and a little different than what he did in previous times where he was healing people. It says this, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And I want you to see something about this little thing, because this, this sentence was kind of this, this remarkable thing for me. I don't know why. It really stood out to me of like, this is kind of a strange thing probably to say, that Jesus really never interacted with them physically. He did this from a distance. In other times, uh, in, in the book of Luke, I think there's five times where, where Jesus is known to, to heal lepers. And if I'm wrong about that, just throw something at me at the end of church. But I think it was five times. This is about the fourth time that he did that. But, but most other times, he lays the hands on the lepers. He prays for them. So Jesus isn't scared to touch these lepers. But instead, he does this from a distance. And it makes the situation very unique. Because Jesus tells these, two, these ten men to do something that just sounds kind of weird. He tells them two things. What's the first word? Go. He tells them, go. They're like, Jesus, come on out. Like, we, we really need to be healed. And Jesus is going, go. I want you to go see the priests. And there was a reason why that Jesus was telling them that. Number one is this. I believe that truly Jesus was testing the men's faith. Because it's one thing from a distance, I think, that I can call Jesus Lord, and I can call Jesus Master, and I can say a lot of great things about Jesus. But sometimes when he calls me to do something, I'm a little more reluctant to step out on faith. Now, for these men, they were pretty hopeless. But when I'm in my own little world and things like that, and Jesus is asking me to do something, and it's just kind of the word go and see the priest, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes I, I may not do that. I may do what Brian wants to do because that seems illogical. But for this, it was, it was logical. Jesus, I believe, was really testing their faith in this moment to see what, if they would do this. And the second thing was this, that he asked them to show themselves to the priest. And back then in this day, the priest served as kind of these local health inspectors. Okay, so they, they weren't just preaching or teaching or anything like that. Uh, in fact, lepers were actually sent to them to be able to, to whether to tell if they were cleansed or not. So these men, when Jesus told them to go and see the priest, there would be an eight-day process that these people would have to go through all these religious ceremonies, all these different kinds of things to prove that they no longer had leprosy. So it was kind of this, this little act that they had to kind of go do to, for them to actually be officially named as cleansed which is kind of unique also in a way because these are the same priests who reject Jesus. So it's just Jesus showing his glory to the priest. <laughs> kind of funny, I thought, in a way there. But I want you to remember this right here as, as we hear this story, that there are ten men here 
once again, that, shame, that share this same affliction. They shared a common problem, and it brought them together and made them as one. William Barclay said this, this quote that really stuck out to me. It said, A common misfortune had broken down the racial and national barriers. In the common tragedy of their leprosy, they had forgotten that they were Jews and Samaritans and only remembered that they were men in need. They were only men in need. These ten men, there's something really important that you've got to see in this next set of verses that we're going to look at. In 15 and 16, it said, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And it says, Luke puts this in for a reason. It's not just for nothing. And he puts in, now he was a Samaritan. Not that he was instantly a Samaritan, but he was a Samaritan the whole time. So we have reason to believe that the other nine were Jews. And at this time, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along together. They, they actually hated each other in this moment. So you could kind of imagine that kind of feeling. You know, in today's day and age, it would almost be like saying one of them's an Auburn fan and one of them's an Alabama fan. They didn't like each other. Now, I like Auburn when they're not playing Alabama, but, you know, that's another subject. I'll probably toss them in the dirt for that. But anyway... It was almost like one was Republican and one was Democrat. They didn't, they didn't really get along. They didn't mash very well. But their affliction brought them together. But I want you to see this important piece in this, this puzzle right here. It says that one of them, when he was walking and he saw that he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice. Amen. And I think that, that, is, that is huge because he does three things that I think are remarkable. There are some things that I think I, I take for granted when I hear this scripture here. Number one was this. He praises God with a loud voice. He realizes as he's walking along with these other ten people that, that yes, things are changing. All of a sudden, the affliction on their hands is gone, that they're able to walk straighter, their nose is puffing out, I guess. I don't know. The air's filling their nose back up again if that was what they had. Things are coming together for them. They're being cleansed. They're being healed. And there's excitement in the air that's about that. Because can you imagine? This means for these men that, that they can have a, a normal life again. That they can have their families back again. They can have their friends again. They can have their social statuses again. But guess what? They were going to be new people almost. And they are so excited. I believe all ten of them were just so excited as they were walking down the road and seeing this happen. But at some point, there's a break. And the Samaritan turns back around. And he goes up to Jesus. And he praises God with a loud voice. He didn't just say, Jesus, God, you're so good. He said, God, you're so good. He praised Jesus with a loud voice. It was more than just this little grumble inside of his heart because something was changing. Something deeper was happening in this moment right here. And he realized something was way different than what he was feeling from the other nine. Because I believe this, that a lot of times in church, we come in and we sing the songs, right? They become repetitive. You know, and I'm, I'm the worst one because guess what? I'm your music guy. So I'm sitting there and I listen to music constantly, every day in the car. And, and, and there's music that I feel and some music that I don't. But I had to get to kind of this realization is I was stressed out about doing the music in this church because I want you to be happy with it, right? 
I want you to be happy with it. But most importantly, I want the God we're singing about to be happy about it. I want him to get the glory and the honor for the things. Because guess what? It doesn't matter what Brian Goble does on this stage. It doesn't matter what Pastor Tom does. It matters what Jesus does in this place, through us, and through this church. So when you see me in the car, <laughs> there's times where I really let loose in the car, amen? I have what, do you, what they call a little Holy Ghost moment. You'll see me just, ah, and, ah. and I don't even care. There was one woman who looked at it the other day, had a donut. And, and had it drizzling out of the side of her mouth. I'm just praising God. I'm like, hey, I realized I didn't have my window down or, you know, my window was cracked. So you ever been in that moment? You're just singing a song and the wind is cracked and you're like, oh gosh, the wind is cracked. <laughs> hey, donut lady. But God was doing something in that day, in my heart and in my life. And in that moment, I became overwhelmed with who Jesus is in my life. And remembering where he's brought me from. There's something that, that triggers that on the inside. Because I'm not bragging or anything like that. Because I, I let God into those moments and let him change me. If you don't watch me, I'll just cry like a baby up here. I cried this morning. I don't even know why I was crying. But I, I believe that there's just some moments, man. I get overwhelmed with what God does. And what God allows us to have. I'm excited about him. And I decided about the change he puts inside of me. So that was the rabbit that I went on. But he sang with a loud voice. And he fell at Jesus' feet. Can you picture this? He comes, he turns around, he's screaming, yelling, God, praising God. And he just falls at his feet. And in that moment, he acknowledges something huge. That Jesus is more than just flesh and blood in front of him. But he truly is the Son of God. That he, sure, he truly is glorious. That he is overwhelmed with who Jesus is. And the first thing that he can think to do was praise God and fall on his knees. And the third is give him thanks. This is easily one of those messages that almost feels like Thanksgiving. We should just roll out the turkey and dressing and stuff. Because everybody's like, well, I can stamp this down. And what this is about, this is about giving thanks today. And that's a part of an element of this. But there's something more that's happening within this man. He's, he's not just giving thanks because Jesus healed him of the leprosy, but there's something more that's happening in the story. And if we look at verses 17 through 18, we, we, we come to find out that and we, we kind of shift gears a little bit. And Jesus, almost for the first time that I think I see sometimes in Scripture, he almost seems surprised. And Jesus answered the man, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this farmer? And when I first read that, I really did believe he is just talking to this man. But I'm also remembering that he's also talking to the disciples that are around, right? I forget that it's not just Jesus and the leper. But more than likely, if he's on the outside of a village, the disciples are gathering around and this is starting to become kind of this teachable moment that Jesus is showing them. And probably some villagers are, are coming around. And they're seeing this scene because he just, he just had a Holy Ghost moment and now everybody's looking, right? <laughs> Ain't nothing like singing louder than anybody else in the church, right? And everybody turns around and looks at you. So in this moment, people are probably turning and they're looking and Jesus knows probably the answer to this. So there, there is a crowd that's going on. 
But, but as I was kind of reading some commentaries and things, I also saw in the Greek where this could be translated a different way. And, and he says, where are the nine? But it's also kind of translated where the where is in a different spot. And it says, it could say this as well. It says, but the nine, they are where? <laughs> like Jesus is, is really surprised about this. So he's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. And, you know, so, so they came in contact with me. They saw me right here. I, I gave them what they wanted, and, and they turned around, and they were healed, but they are where? Like, it's, it's just this foreigner that's come down to worship me? Like, where's the other nine? And those other nine, I truly believe, just kept on trucking, because they did, <laughs> because they just kept trucking. And I really think that it, the reason why is I started praying about this and I started thinking about this is because almost, I believe that the Jews just kind of felt entitled to things. I felt like they, 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 they kind of were an entitled people. Because Jesus didn't really fit the kind of Messiah that they were kind of looking for. And they wanted this conqueror and they, they wanted this, this king that would really rule over things, but Jesus in some ways didn't meet their expectations. He probably was walking. He wasn't coming in on this great chariot into the village and, and things of that nature. He was probably walking or riding a donkey or, or riding some, one of the disciples' backs. I don't know how Jesus was traveling, but he was probably coming into the village this way. And the Jews, when they started walking away, they had this entitlement about him because they wanted him to be a political guy and they wanted him to do all these other things. But in the, in the, in the instance, they came caught up with their own life, and they just kind of forgot. And they thought they were entitled. Well, this is what I deserve, right? Yeah, Jesus is king, Jesus is lord, and Jesus is master. But, you know, that's just kind of what Jesus does, right? Like, you know, it's almost like you expect your car to crank every morning. You have enough faith to where you can allow your car to crank. Like, you get in the car and it cranks, and you just drive, right? Nobody sits down and cranks their car and, Oh, praise you, car, you cranked! There's that expectation, right? I hope this is making a little bit of sense. Because nobody does that, right? So I think that the, the other nine people, that's just kind of what they did. They, they heard this is kind of what Jesus was about, and so that's what they did. And they went on to their rituals. They went on to their, to their normal way of life. And they didn't see the whole point of what Jesus really wanted to do in this moment. But the one guy sees it. There's something different about this one guy. In verse 19, it says this. He said to the, to the Samaritan in this moment, he said, rise and go your way and see this part right here because this is a huge, huge part. Your faith has made you well. We see the part of the story that makes this guy different and what he gets differently than what the other guy's. John MacArthur makes a point in one of his commentaries on this. And there's these phrases that is used to describe cleansing and healing. And I can't pronounce these words. I'm not even going to try to begin to. Well, I'll try just for fun. Catharizio. I don't know if that's how you say it. But that means cleanse. It's from verse 14. Or the word, Aami. Don't quote me on that. Which is healed. It's from verse 15. We can laugh a little bit. It's okay. I know I can't pronounce it. But there's a different word that's said, and it's sozo. And it's a familiar New Testament term from being saved from sin. 
It's being saved from sin. And it's sad that out of the ten guys, this one guy is the only guy that gets it. That Jesus, yes, he healed them physically, but Jesus wanted to do more in their life. He wanted him to get the salvation out of it. There was something deeper to this whole story that the one got that the others didn't. And I can tell you, in church life, isn't that true? That I can see this, this sanctuary full. I've been to youth camps. I've been to, to, to conferences. I've been to all these kinds of things where, where God does these really dramatic things. And it really looks like a move from God. It's not just some superficial thing. It's not the lights. It's not the fog. But it's something about when they're in that room and prayer is happening and people are drawing closer and it seems like this most awesome moment. But when camp is over, when conferences are over, when the big thing is over, only a few seems like it sticks with them. And I keep wondering, in our lives, and, in the, and it's frustrating sometimes, there are kids still today that, that I got to teach in the youth group that I could just shake and say, why can't you get it? They're like the nine people. They got what they wanted out of God in that moment, and then they moved on to their normal lives thinking they can just have the American dream life, that they can be the American dream Christian. But in this moment, the lepers get something different. The Samaritan gets something different in this moment. He receives salvation and is setting him on fire. He's excited about it. Because there's often times, I want to play the church game. I want to come in and just sing the song. I just want to clock in and clock out. But that's not what God is calling you to today. There's more to Christianity than just this building. There's more to the relationship with God than something superficial. And this American thing that we paint on church, there's something deeper to it. It's about a devotion. It's about being in awe. It's about showing reverence. It's about honoring God with your life. It's about falling on your face and letting God move in your life. And I see so many spiritual shells and so much potential in people sometimes. And they're just walking, just don't even know what they're doing. Don't even realize their purpose. They're just meandering through life. Well, I'm a Christian, but yeah. But I wonder sometimes, did they really allow Jesus to change something on the inside? Did they really allow him to do this? And I have to look in the mirror every single day. And I have to ask myself, Jesus, am I allowing you to really change what's on the inside? Because I can look good in front of people. I can act right. I, I, I can look all shiny and stuff. On, well, I say I can look all shiny on the outside. I don't look shiny at all today. But I can, I can really make you feel good about me. I can smile when cued to smile. And there's some people that just live their life that way and never let God on the inside of their heart. They never let God truly into their lives to reign and rule. And I believe in this moment that the Samaritan, this is where he stands out from the rest. That this message is about giving thanks and credit where credit is due and being grateful in these moments. But it's also about realizing this that God desires more out of his relationship with you. That there's more to it than just coming and sitting in this seat tonight. Or this morning. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's been a long weekend, let me just say that. But there's more to it than that. 
Jesus wants to do something on the inside of your heart today. Listen, Jesus can do, he, he can heal these things. He can make our bodies well again. And sometimes he chooses not to do that. But it's what matters on the inside the most. And I'll just leave you with this, this final, final thought. This story is more than just a lesson on thankfulness and gratitude. It hammers down deep about what our faith is truly about. The nine go through all the religious ceremonies to show that they're cleansed on the outside so they can return back to that normal life. But only one truly acknowledges the need deep within for a real Savior who changes more than just the outside of a person but what's on the inside. So Father God, Lord, I just pray, Lord, this morning. God, I pray, number one, that I represent your word well. And God, that you truly are speaking in this place tonight. But God, even more in this moment, God, I know the tendencies that I have in my life, God. Where sometimes I'm an ungrateful jerk. And I don't give you honor for everything that happens in my life. But God, there are these moments, Lord, where I do get caught up in a car. I get caught up in your presence. Or I just get caught up, Father, in your many blessings. But God, there are some moments where I block my heart from you. That God, that I, I just harden myself. And I don't allow you to do anything on the inside. And God, I truly believe that I'm not alone in this room. That God, I believe that there are, there are people in this room that have turned stone cold to God, to your spirit, Lord, today. That God... They can do all the things on the outside to look right. But truly on the inside, Lord, they're blocking you today. And God, they're missing out on what a relationship with you looks like. They're missing out on the joy and the freshness of their faith, God. That yes, we all have the faith to, to pray, God. We, we have the faith. Lord, to move when you tell us to move, God, but do we allow you inside? God, I believe in this room there's people who, who need healing from all sorts of things, addictions, divorce, pornography, overeating. I, there, there's a multitude of things, God, that you heal us from. But God, do we give you the things? Do we really let you on the inside to make a the big change that needs to happen. Well, we let you transform our hearts. Where you let, we let you transform our minds, God. Lord, sometimes that's messy. It's not on our timetable. But God, it's really, truly what we need, Father, today. So God, I just pray in these next few moments, God, as, as this altar is opened up, Father, God, I pray you move in this place, God. That, Lord, if someone needs prayer this morning, that, God, that they'll seek somebody out, they'll seek out Pastor Tom, myself, somebody down here at the front, God. And, Lord, if, if they don't even know what we're talking about today, and they're just like the lepers on the outside, they've heard a lot about Jesus today. But now they're finally seeing for who he is for the very first time. That he's more, he was more than just flesh and blood and a great teacher. But he is our Savior. So, Lord... I pray for that person today. If there's one in the room that is like that, God, if there's somebody in the room today that just needs to open up their hearts to you again, Lord. 
May you move in this place right now, God, and be with us. And it's your great name that we do pray. Amen. You can stand to your feet, church. If you need prayer today, if there's something that we can do for you, we'll be down here at the front.